Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Ascension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. In the martial arts world, there's a lot of misconceptions, okay? Um, basically, certain uh, strategies and certain tactics are, are effective within a given context only. So every strategy, every context, every, every strategy, every tactic is relative, okay? There's no universal strategy or tactic that you can use, meaning that one strategy or one tactic that proves itself successful on this, within this context will be the worst thing you could ever do inside another context, you see? And the, there is a relationship between striking and throwing. And much of Aikido is very ignorant of their own individual context and many Aikidoka believe that they are substitutable, but they're not. Um, there may be some overlap here or there, but it is much more minuscule than you would imagine. You're probably better off understanding that where you could throw, especially in any kind of yielding throw, you cannot strike. And this has to do with a yielding throw capitalizes upon the inertia that the attacker generates via their aggression, via their spinal displacement upon you. And that same spinal displacement and inertia should I strike against it, will, will be jam my strike. It'll smother my strike, you see? Whereas it'll be perfect for a yielding throw, okay? So vice versa then. In a drill where my role as training, as the uke who's training my nage, in a drill where I'm being asked to continually attack, if I'm opening myself up to strikes, it's because... I am not doing that spinal displacement. I am not maintaining the aggression. It's not that you don't have an, a, an attacker out in reality that will never spinally displace. They're, they're out there. That does happen, you see. But they set up themselves for striking. So in here, when your uke is going to not spinally displace, they're opening themselves up for striking, and you should strike, okay? Now, when your instructor is telling you you're actually an aggressor in this drill, we're working on a particular thing that is very, very difficult, even though it makes throwing easier. You see, what is that? The, the onslaught of aggression, okay? Yes, you're going to get spinal displacement, 
Yes, you're going to have the inertia that will uh, meet the contextual requirements of a yielding throw, but you still need to develop this skill because it is one of the hardest things to face. The, an onslaught, a violence of action, a continuous pressure upon your person, do you see? When, when should you ever have to face something like that in reality? I guarantee you, you would much rather face the person who's never committing, okay? This is a much easier uh, thing to deal with than to have violence of action put upon you, which is why it, is, it has remained ever uh, so a, a uh, you know, one of the things that brings more likely than not victory in combat. So even today in our modern military, violence of action is one of the three things for more guaranteeing victory than not. Okay, same thing in law enforcement. If you, if it, when it's time to act, if you act hesitantly, then you're going to lose the initiative and now the chances of you uh, coming out successful are, have been reduced. Okay, so we want to practice today, we want to practice this violence of action onslaught. Okay, and in particular, because what an untrained person does in the violence of action onslaught is um, contest against it. And that is the worst thing you can do. So in other words, they violate my. They only move so far or they move at a wrong angle where eventually the distance is closed. And this is feeding into the person's violence of action. Do you see? And some of you, even at that point, will now duck down and not look at the attack. That's exactly what this strategy wants. It wants you to duck down, and basically, you're on the defensive. You have no initiative. You are basically a target. Okay? And when you're a target, targets don't hit back. That's the whole point of this strategy. So that's what we were working on today. So if you're getting a correction um, like you got, because we're working on that, because the teacher said we're working on that, because you were told to do that, because you were coached to do that. When you're not doing it, you're not doing it. Now, you don't mean to not do it, right? You're not, you don't reach the conclusion where and you go, you know what? I disagree. Violence of action is not all that. I really think the harder problem is the person that's not coming. That's not what happened, you see? You just stopped applying yourself. That's what happened. Okay? Why? Because in your case, you were defending yourself instead of doing what's being asked of you so we could train against this strategy. Okay? So that we could learn my outside of what is, in essence, a one-step one kind of sparring in Kihonwaza. Because okay? it, it gives, in, in, as I said earlier, I think in Kihonwaza, while we have the concept of my, you're actually not learning it. You're learning more uh, range or measuring because it all happens within one or two steps. And my is space-time ever moving. Do you see that? Not for one or two steps, okay? And so that's why we need to, if we're going to truly learn my, we have to have much more dynamic situations. And well, this is a very dynamic one. This is a very difficult one. This is a very uh, likely one, should you ever be attacked, because asocial violence almost always entails spinal displacement. 
okay? There's always, there's almost always a territoriality instinct that happens where the attacker wants to stand where you're standing, you see? And in that is the inertia for a yielding throw, okay? But as you could see, you guys did every once in a while have a uke who was spinally displacing. Did you throw him? No. You sat there and you contested against their territoriality and you could not get the throw. Okay, so hence the reasoning for the draw, okay? Um, I know that sometimes you, you're thinking like, again, because you don't have ill will and we're not talking about ill will. Coaching is not a, is not a, um, a moral endeavor, do you see? But you might have enough identity, ego, attachment, where every correction that you're getting feels like a moral dilemma, do you see? But that's on the deshi. That's totally on the deshi. Um, again, I always go back to my athletic career. Uh, you know, it's almost like when, when you're training at an international level, Olympic level, um, you go and you find that coach who's going to make you better. You see, and when you're at that level, you don't experience the corrections as pats on the nose. Do you see? They they come in as like, oh, thank God you're telling me that. I didn't realize I was doing that. Do you see? And why? Because you know what? That athlete wants the gold. Do you see? And that's why they're there. But many of us come to Aikido, and we don't really want to get good at it. We want to to not be pat on the nose, you see, we want, we want to be coddled, you see, but you can't learn that way, because the, only the, the ego tripartite requires coddling, okay. It's almost like you're in the no man's land. If you had enough ego, like an Olympic athlete, you could get over yourself and take the correction and move forward with it. It's like you, you, you're in that no man's land where I got just enough ego where this is demoralizing me as opposed to uh, so much ego that, yeah, give, me, give that, make me faster because I want to stand on the top of the podium with my arms in a V. You see, I want gold around my neck. So I never saw athletes. I was never one of those athletes. Uh, we never were, you know, coaches getting me. We had the opposite. Coach is ignoring me. Do you see? I must not be good enough. I'll show him. That's what, that's what we would do, right? Um, remember, I told you, I, I just by coincidence, I ended up on the world teams, on, on the world team coaches team. Just by coincidence, I ended up on his team. I didn't know anything. And the, uh, the first race, that I that I did, I, I got was getting smoked, just smoked, and I was just demoralized, embarrassed beyond belief, uh, because I didn't realize how bad I was, in, you know, in our own individual practice. And now you're at a competition and it's crowded, right? And uh, I mean, I'm getting laps in 500 meters. I'm get I'm getting lapped, um, and so I I pull up, and I I start quitting the race. And I'm coming, I'm going around the track, kind of like, you know, winding down, coasting. And I'm passing the crowd, and all of a sudden, I get yanked by my throat uh, out of, off the track and into the stands. I didn't know what the hell grabbed me. 
I, I was completely blindsided. And uh, what it was, it was my coach's wife, who was already a world champion. Um, and she's, she shoves me against the wall, and she's holding me in a C-clamp on my trachea. And she's going, if you're on this team, you never quit. I don't care if you get last place. You never quit. You never quit. Take off that uniform. She made me take off the uniform and everything, right? Um, you know what? It, it took away my embarrassment. And I actually found that pride, you see. It could have easily demoralized me, you see, but I wanted to win. I wanted to win. So how, where we are in our ego reconciliation is how we experience these corrections. And in something like Giyuwaza, it's basically you're being coached in the middle of the race. You see, and it's a kind of weird experience, okay? Because you've had all the coaching, per se, in your Kihon was, and as you can see, it doesn't quite translate because there's skills not being brought to the surface in Kihon Waza. When you can do Giyuwaza, when you can spar, when you can have a live training environment, when you can defend yourself, you will feel and see the, the free technique in Kihon Waza. But before that, you really don't. So, um, you know, this is why your ma is off. Let's say you have one uke, and your ma is off every once in a while with that one uke. Or on another uke, it's like off all the time. Do you see that? Because really what you're doing is you have where you step. You have your timing. You have your range, your distance. And it's now not matching the coincidence of who you're going with. In order to have the technique, the kihon waza, let's say ikkyo, in order to have ikkyo work every single time, even with the same uke, it has to have this jiwaza aspect to it. Do you see? Um, but because it's so controlled, because uke will wait for you to get in the right place, do you see? Um, in our dishonesty, we don't realize this window that I just gave Uke, this part where they're staying still and waiting for me, they're not moving, they're not falling. That moment is exactly what's happening in this Giwaza drill every time you're behind. Do you see that? Every time you're doing your turn, my turn, every time you're chasing their strikes, you're trying to catch their kicks. Do you see that? You're, you are um, not in that Aiki communion at an immaterial level with that person. You're behind. You see? So the only way that I can see uh, when, you're, when you're doing bridging the gap from Kihon to Jiu is you have to be performing and the coach has to be on the sidelines correcting your form. Do you see that? And you need to be able to make those corrections on the fly in the drill. You see? So, for example, you already know what's too close. You know that. In other words, if I say, do Ikkyo now and, make, and get too close for the technique, you could all get into that short, incorrect mai. Do you see that? Yet it's happening in Jiyuwaza. 
So when the coach is saying, the Mai's too close, you're too close, you don't look at me, don't stop, don't think about it, don't feel patted on the nose, get back where you're supposed to be. Make the correction on the fly. Okay? So you develop these skills that way. But you won't develop these skills if every correction is a pat on the nose. Anything else? It wasn't so easy, right? And, um, you know, my, my history on this was not easy either. His, be, to become spontaneous with a technique is not easy. And it's something entirely different from training in Kihon. In fact, by tradition, Kihon is an obstacle to, to becoming spontaneous, okay? So what you have to do is really don't measure your Aikidoka level by your Kihon. That should never be um, a worthy metric. It's your foot in the door, okay? It sets up the problem. However long you've trained to get here, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you've been doing Kihon for 10 or 20 years. It doesn't matter. This is really day one. And now is where the training really starts. So you can't be thinking, but I'm so accomplished. Do, do you get it? You can't be thinking that. What, what the, the proper mindset is when you do poorly at GU is going, Holy cow, I need a lot of work. You see, that is the proper mindset. And then you just keep doing that work. That's what we're heading for. So some of you, um, for example, you tried a kokunage, but you, you had the, um, the, uh, the first line higher than the second line. And so you don't really get a topsy-turvy effect that way. Okay, so what you need to do is... You should feel motivated to, when I go to Kihonwaza and I'm learning Kokunage, I will make sure that I have some sort of metacognition checking that the first line is lower than the second line. Every time, no matter what. My uke, you're going to get those scaredy cat ukes. They're going to want to throw themselves so they keep control of their balance. Uh-uh. No. Your head is going down, uke. You see, and your hip is going over. And, and when, instead of letting that uke keep control, and you take control of that technique, do you see, in a way that is consistent with the art's tenets, you're doing jiuwaza. Do you see? You're not forcing them, but you're not letting them violate the principles that would make you be successful under jiuwaza conditions, okay, without having a choreographed Okay, do you see? Because um, you shouldn't have taken that throw. Should not have taken that throw in a drill where you're t being told, counter, 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 keep the aggression going, keep the aggression going, do you see? Um, one thing you noticed, for example, when I did the last demonstration where I, I did the throws, your momentum throws don't really work. You, you really do need that Koku projection so that he does, he does um, completely fall outside of his base of support. His line of gravity completely falls outside of the base of support. 
Okay, so you were doing a kind of momentum throw. If you didn't do what you did, you would have been able to turn on, turn back on him. Do you see that? But if you, if you had to throw an uke who's ready to turn back on you, you would know I need a coqu skill so that I can project her line of gravity completely outside of her base of support. But now you don't know that. You see, you don't know that, and you didn't help him teach that or learn that. Okay. So um, that's why I was calling the uke the train. The tra you're like the trainer. Do you see? And so you have your role to do. We can't learn. You're the sharpening stone. Okay? Um, anything else? Yes? You talked a lot about the difference between sharpening and opening. Mm -hmm. And with sharpening, you mean opening and then opening. Yeah, you're doing if then. And if then doesn't work. You see? Because if then is late. If then is reactionary. Um, and if then is really an intellectual process. So if the attacker comes in with that, then I'm going to do this. And there's no way. It does not function at the speed of life. And the ancients knew that. We moderns don't know it because we have techniques to sell. And so if then is commercially viable. See, as if is not commercially viable. Because if you looked at your performance right now, your techniques did nothing for you, which is, I'm, I'm telling you the exact opposite. Your techniques are the problem. You see? That's the problem. Because why? Because it's a mind problem. It's a body-mind problem. It's not a, a technical lexicon problem. Okay? So G was as not as if. Kihon was as, as if. Okay? Um, so these are, these are old pedagogical theories on how do people learn while having the ideal that the learning should not be visible. So do, do you get that? So let's take dancing, for example. You're going to teach someone to dance, and so you teach them a bunch of moves, you see? Maybe you put footprints on the floor, and you number them, and you go one, two, left, one, right, two. Do you see? And you do that. Um, and they can step on those footprints, and they can step on them in the right order, right? But you put the music on, and you could tell they're counting. In fact, you're going to say, well, those are the steps, but that's not really dancing. There's a... Um, a song I posted recently, it's got the most beautiful line. Um, oh, I'm so bad by the end of the night. What is that singer who sings the song Hallelujah? The, the first hit. Leonard Cohen. Okay, so he has another song. And it has a line where he's saying woe to or pity the ballerina who cannot dance to any music. Th this is the same idea here. You see, if you're a dancer, you can dance to anything. I can't see the footsteps on the floor in your technique. You see, I don't see the technique anymore. Um, if you go back and you watch um, some Fred Astaire movies, the moves are relatively simple compared to, for example, doing the robot today, right? I mean, some of these dancers today that do the robot, they're like, well, that looks 
physically challenging as all hell. Um, but the naturalness is not there. You watch a Fred Astaire movement, and you can see he's one with the movement and the music. And then the other dancer, you could change the music to anything, and they'll still be doing that. You could shut the music off, and they'll still be doing that. You won't know what song they're listening to. You can watch Fred Astaire. You can turn the, the music off. You could actually see the music he's hearing in his head. Okay? So we're, we're not the first culture to appreciate that kind of naturalness by which we no longer recognize the training. You see, Ancient cultures had this. So in ancient China... We're going to train you. We're going to cultivate you. You're going to be educated. But the ultimate goal is to no longer see the education in you. This is now your nature. Okay? So your Budo pedagogy is based on that ancient um, pre-China, early, early China. Like We have textual evidence of this at least 500 B.C., and the oral tradition is, like scholars will go, it's probably another 500 years before that, that they were working with these models, okay? And in these models, um, they would train you to respond a particular way, whatever your tradition might be, whether it be dance or martial arts, those were two they used. But it might also just be courtly behavior or even the performance of rituals, Um Take for you're like what is what the heck does that mean? You ever seen a a uh, um, a wedding rehearsal uh, or a wedding where the people are so paranoid because they have to start stand and walk a certain way? It just looks unnatural. Nobody's having fun anymore. Do, do you know what I'm talking about? You've seen people that in those wedding videos where they're they're so nauseous because of the performance that they might get it wrong. That they, they pass out or they vomit or something like that, you see. But in the naturalness, you can't observe the will to get it right. It's just natural, okay? And so in this 500 BCE China, they were already working with this idea. We want to train you, and the best way of training you, wherein we ultimately do not recognize the training, is in what we call as if rituals. So you're going to move in a particular way as if that is already who you are. And you're going to do that over and over and over. And then we're going to combine that with other practices. This is key. These practices are not part of normal Aikido training for the most part everywhere around the world. They just stick to that first part. There's other practices wherein we're going to start to um, deconstruct your relationship to the form, okay? And this was all based ultimately and taken into Buddhist pedagogy and the borrowing of what Aikido has heard of, which is Shuhadi. But that's all Ruiz, Confucian, Buddhist pedagogy that Budo later borrows because that's how everybody goes from training to naturalness, meaning no signs of training, okay? No, no observational will to do something, okay? And so when you watch my technique, as I tell you, I don't know which technique I'm going to do. 
But is it technically correct? Yes. Yes, it is. Some techniques I've never done before in my life. Is it still technically correct? Yes, it is technically correct, meaning it's still consistent with the art's tenets. You see? Right now, what you guys have is the classic shuhadi problem is you're fettered by form. You are attached to form. Form is something you do, meaning form is not something you are. There is a gap between you. Form is numbered footprints on a dance floor for you right now. And it does not function at speed of life. So just that's why we say if then, if then is numbered footprints on the dance floor. It does not function at speed of life. Okay? Um, and this should be something that you, you learn because some of the earlier live environments that we've used is in Newaza. You all know the mount reversals and the scissor sweep and the shoulder lock and all of these kind of things. Well, you're not getting them, right? You're not getting them when we start rolling. Nothing's working. And in fact, you're being swept with things you've never even seen before by those other people who are now one with the form, meaning they're not number footprints on the floor anymore. Do you see? So this is your real problem in your Budo training, and this is what you're working on. And this is what you experienced tonight, okay? That the, uh, all the other stuff is really just put in the door. That is how I would think about it. This is, this is where you want everything. If I were you, I would be upset if we're not doing this drill again, and we're back to Kihon Waza. That's how I would be, okay? I would, I would be whispering under my breath, God damn, Sensei, can we get on to the real stuff? That, that's how I would be, right? And if you're, and the same way, if you're not getting the coaching corrections on the fly, oh, you, you want to be like that Olympic athlete who's like, why isn't coach making me better? Okay, this is how, this is how important this is, but how different it is from Kihon Waza. Okay, any last comments on the training? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Even if my partner is not doing this predictable, I can follow the instructions. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why there's always a mystery. Yeah. So to me, it's always like a warning. Yeah, you're going to do, you're going to do this again. This is working on a high level, but I still see how it's possible to pull this off. Yeah, and you know, this is why one of the first books we had as required reading is um, Soho's unfettered mind. This is chapter one stuff, right? Where he talks about if you look at the opponent's sword, your mind goes to the sword. If you look at his hand, it goes to his hand. You look in his eyes, it gets captured by his eyes. If you look at the cut, it, and you're, it's, uh, the mind is getting stuck, okay? Which is why warrior traditions always emphasize mind training. And mind in the Buddhist sense, in the sense that Soho is talking about it, okay? And, and what is that sense? That's that ego tripartite that we've discussed many times. 
Okay? When that thing is functioning, the mind will always be fettered, and the body cannot function at the speed of life. That's what's happening. That's where you get the numbered footsteps on the floor. If the music is just right, do you see? The lighting is just right, and everything goes perfectly, those footsteps will work. But that doesn't tend to happen when anybody can do whatever they want. Do you see? So um, you mentioned, though, it, it, yes, there are patterns, and you should observe them because people have preferences, right? It's very unlikely that your opponent is the Buddha himself, you see? So that person is, is operating within some sort of uh, ego tripartite. They have some sort of dichotomous worldview, and they have some sort of uh, preference avoidance spectrum that their behavior is being governed by. Do you see that? And so they will develop a pattern. Um, you might not get to see all of the pattern, but you might be able to find some of the pattern. The, the problem isn't looking for, pro for patterns. The problem is when your mind gets fettered by their pattern, do you see, or the search for their pattern. So as I said, um, when the uke is stepping with that right leg and leaving th that first front leg, right, and they're leaving their hips behind, that is... I don't know the odds, but a high percentage chance that that's a measuring step for the rear kick, the rear leg kick. Do you see that? But as I told you that, I said, but it might not be, and I'm not really stuck on that. Do you see? So there is some sort of metacognition that is present, but it's not fettering my mind. It's not capturing my my own uh, intellect and therefore triggering my ego tripartite. My, I'm just kind of hovering over that. He could be doing this. Chances are he is. Oh, he's not. Fine. It was fine. You know, I was never attached to that other thing either. So just as we talked about the other night where no self does not have a form, do you see? Fudoshin or Mushin, this mind that, that Soho is talking about, it it does not have to happen outside of all intellectual processing. That's not true. It's the stopping of the mind that is the problem. The capturing of the mind, the fettering of the mind that is the problem. Sure, look for the patterns. See, see them. Work with them, right? But don't get stuck by, on them. That's, that's the problem. That's the issue here. Okay? Try, try to remember that. If, it, it would be like in, you go to Zazen... And uh, you'll have people who will go, I'm not supposed to have any thoughts in Zazen. That's impossible. The mind thinks. Okay? The problem is, do, does the, can you observe the mind's thinking um, in that kind of metacognitive way, in, in the same way that your body can breathe without your intellect taking over that breathing problem, that breathing process? Can my mind function without me taking it over? Do you see? I'm more of an observer of it. So you can, you can do Zazen and you could, you'll exhaust yourself where you go like, stop thinking. Well, that was a thought. Oh, now stop. No. You'll just keep doing that. Do you see? That's not what you're after. That's not what you're after. It's, it is the stopping, the fettering, the capturing of the mind. And the same thing is going on concentrically in uke. You, you guys are trying to capture uke rather than let them do what they're doing, right? You're trying to stop them. You're trying, you're, you're, you're trying to divide them up between good uke, bad uke, good attack, bad attack, 
right? This is good. This is bad. All that is not working. As opposed to, just let Uke be what Uke is being. And it will be fine until I get captured by that, until my mind stops on it. Then everything is a problem. Then I can't feel when my um, uke is now not spinally displacing and feel the opening for the atami. You see, I have to, wait, what's going on? Oh, and now, but they moved. Now they're back pressing again, do you see, by the time you throw that. So it's this, it's this fettering of the mind that is a problem. It should be able to, to do what minds do. See, you're not, you're not trying to stop the mind doing from what the mind's doing, right? Buddha, Buddhahood is not antithetical to humanity. We're not trying to be Spock. This concludes this episode of Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com. S E N S-H-I-N-C-E-N-T-E-R dot com or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.